Welcome to Season 5 of the Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom, where we talk with enterprise and technology platform leaders about the people, processes, and platforms that make marketing and customer experience successful, scalable, and sustainable. This is what creates an Agile brand. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom, advisor and consultant for Fortune 1000 marketing and CX leaders and teams as principal and chief strategist at GK5A and best-selling author, keynote speaker, entrepreneur, and Agile certified coach. The Agile Brand Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to teksystems.com. To sign up for the Agile Brand newsletter and get the latest insights and articles on marketing technology and CX, or to purchase a copy of my latest book, House of the Customer, go to gregkillstrom.com. You can also find all my books on Amazon and other retailers. And now on to the show. One of the biggest challenges business leaders face today is managing multiple stakeholders. For the past half century, most CEOs have simply sought to please board members and shareholders with less regard to other stakeholders like employees, government entities, or suppliers. But as demands for corporate responsibility have increased, CEOs are under increasing pressure to cater to a wide variety of stakeholder needs and to find solutions that deliver across diverse groups. Today, we're going to talk about stakeholder design and how to approach it, and related approaches like horizontal thinking to benefit the business, all of its stakeholders, as well as its customers. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Kurt Schreiber, Chief Creative Officer at VSA Partners. Kurt, welcome to the show. Hi, Greg. It's good to be here. Yeah, looking forward to talking about this topic with you. Um, Why don't we get started, though, with you giving a little background on yourself as well as what you're currently doing at VSA Partners. Sure. Um, Well, Greg, I was formally trained as a graphic designer, uh, but during my career, I had the opportunity, I've had the opportunity to expand into environmental design, digital product design, motion design, brand design, campaign work as well. So, I've really, uh, over the years, I've got a chance to work on a lot of great things. Greg, I work with um, kind of a combination of technology companies like IBM and lifestyle companies like Harley-Davidson and Converse. So I've got kind of this unique combination of the two, B2B, B2C. But recently, I've been participating in a program led by John Awada and the faculty at Yale on stakeholder innovation and management. And uh, it's especially relevant to, to business today, so I'm glad we're talking about it. Yeah, great. Yeah, so let's um, let, let's dive in then to, to stakeholder design and, and talk about its importance to business leaders and the ultimate success of organizations. So why don't, why don't we start though with a definition? Uh, can you explain what exactly stakeholder design is and why it's important for business leaders to prioritize this practice in today's environment? The basic idea is for businesses to optimize outcomes for multiple stakeholders versus trying to maximize for just one. In today's environment, business leaders are experiencing new levels of complexity, transparency, and heightened levels of expectations from those stakeholders. So business leaders have to respond. Yeah. yeah. So how do you define a stakeholder in the term, you mentioned a few, but you know, how do you define yeah. a, a stakeholder in the context of, of stakeholder design and how should CEOs and designers and, and other others uh, consider the prioritization of those stakeholders when, when they're deciding things? Well, I like to think of stakeholders as uh, a broad range of audiences, 
who have a relationship with the business. So that includes employees, customers, investors, suppliers, society at large. And each one of those have different needs and each one has a different expectation. So the goal isn't to prioritize any one stakeholder, but to manage across this entire system. And so, you know, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but, you know, traditional corporate decision making, you know, we often hear about prioritizing things for shareholders, for the board, for, you know, for very specific stakeholders. Why isn't this approach sustainable anymore? And, you know, how does uh, how does stakeholder design help, you know, these companies create more equitable and sustainable solutions? Well, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. If you go back just, you know, in history, about for about 50 years, businesses have prioritized profits. Yeah. And, and shareholders were definitely the primary stakeholder. But over time, other stakeholders began to have a say in how leaders conducted business. So, like, especially like over the last 20 years, we saw NGOs becoming very influential and in advocating for more sustainability, uh, recently, more equitable practices. Customers have demanded more transparency in areas like manufacturing practices and even like materials and, and the way services are conducted. Employees now have heightened expectations of their employer. You know, a lot of companies will advocate for a certain purpose. But then, you know, what is that actual employer experience like? And are companies really living up to their purposes? So those are just a few examples of how, of what, of what I see is happening. But the issue, with the, the reason why it's such a challenge today is because these stakeholders are managed in silos, right? So when you think of businesses, they're organized this way. Investor relations, sales and marketing, supply chain management, HR, and so on. And so it it's... What, what is challenging, I think, for most organizations is that because they are, because they do manage these stakeholders in silos, they have to begin to work across the system uh, because these expectations now amongst the stakeholders are all interconnected. Yeah, yeah. And how does this impact something like innovation? You know, so obviously when you're beholden to a very narrow set of, of stakeholders like shareholders, the board, you know, to the financial considerations alone or short-term financial considerations, let's say, you know, the, the way that you look at innovation or, you know, if you innovate, how you innovate is, is going to be very different than what you're talking about here. So, you know, what, how does this change the way that a company is able to innovate and even maybe the way that a, an organization looks at innovation. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, often that innovation process, the responsibilities of, you know, inno innovation within an organization usually reside in pockets. Uh, so, you know, take, for example, product design or R&D. You know, these two areas of the business are typically viewed as, you know, where where the new stuff comes out, where the new thinking and the new designs. And so that that can lead to, you know, like a better dishwasher or perhaps a new set of patents. But those alone aren't necessarily disruptive. Um, I just feel like I, disruptive ideas come more through cross collaborations. And so when you begin to connect these various groups together to solve problems, common problems, 
then uh, more disruption, you know, and, and more innovative thinking comes through. Like, you know, um, John Awada sometimes describes this as a scene in Apollo 13, a square peg in a round hole. Do you remember that? Yeah. That yeah. Scene, right? The carbon dioxide filter, there's a problem with that. And they hadn't planned for is one of the one of the things they hadn't planned for. And so uh, one of the engineers, you know, assembles the whole team in, in, into a, a back room and um, kind of empties a whole box of equipment and parts and pieces. And, and he says, you know, fit this into this with nothing but that. And it's just, it's a great scene. And it's very sort of emblematic to, I think, the way businesses and the C-suite uh, need to operate these days. It's just, you know, bring it, literally bring everybody into a room put the problem at the center of the table and we leave when we have a solution. And um, that, that kind of effort, that kind of thinking, that kind of collaboration can lead to really great things. Yeah. I mean, it seems to build on, you know, the idea that, so you're, you've got a more diverse team that's working on innovation, but you've also, you're solving for a more diverse set of problems. And I, it seems like both, feed each other in a, in a positive way. Is that, would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, most of my, most of my experience, um, you know, in the industry has been with large corporations, you know, so they're global, you know, in nature, they are, um, they're not necessarily like the thinking and the management isn't always centralized. It's a lot of it's decentralized. One part of the organization may not be understand or even aware of what another part of the organization is doing. And so, you know, for really effective uh, multi-stakeholder design, corporate corporations really have to change their mindset and how they manage. Before we continue, I'd like to introduce you to a sponsor of the show, Partner Hero. Customer service outsourcing has long been available mainly to large enterprise businesses with long-term contracts and onerous procurement processes. Partner Hero is challenging business as usual and bringing the benefits of outsourcing to small and medium businesses as well as startups. With short, flexible contracts and fast ramp-up times, Partner Hero is making customer support outsourcing a viable option for small and medium businesses and startups. It's perfect for companies with seasonality expecting a temporary spike in volume or that simply need to scale up. And their focus on quality means your customers will get an experience that feels like it comes from your team. If you're ready to bring in outside customer support help for your company that feels like it's part of your existing team, check out Partner Hero. Head on over to partnerhero.com slash agile, that's partnerhero.com slash A-G-I-L-E, to book a free consultation with their solutions team. Mention you heard about Partner Hero from the Agile brand and the way of the setup fee. Now let's get back to the show. And so yeah, I'm relatively new to, to stakeholder design, but, um, you know, I think you've kind of touched on this a little bit in terms of talking about, you know, the good overlap between teams working on things as well as, you know, stakeholders, uh, the the outcomes that the organizations are working on. But, you know, one of the key principles of, of stakeholder design is horizontal thinking. Uh, can you explain a little bit about what this means and, you know, how, how does this work? You know, do you, how, is this something that, CEOs and, and leaders need to cultivate in their in their teams and just uh, if you could talk a little bit more about that I think that people who think vertically are usually concerned in how 
to solve the problem. And on the other hand, people who think horizontally are usually concerned in why a particular problem occurs. And so I think that, you know, in a lot of, you know, in the, in the way an, an organization and the way people, you know, think about solving for problems, you know, there's, there, there's, there's different ways you can go at it. Now, what I have found in especially kind of this horizontal thinking method is that the number one thing you can do is to embrace constraints. And, you know, just being a designer and, 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 and being trained and, and, and living in this world, constraints can be like your best friend. Yeah. And, and the key, you know, in, in this example that we're talking about today is to find the constraints that you can conjoin. Okay, so as you move across the stakeholders, each stakeholder has a set of expectations. They can also call those constraints. And the, and the way you begin to solve, from a design standpoint, the way you begin to solve for that is to look across those constraints and see where is their commonality, which ones can you conjoin. And, and by doing that, you, that's, that's the process of, of beginning to solve and, de, and, and design for this particular thing. So take, for example, a few years ago, Nike introduced uh, its lowest carbon shoe. And uh, in doing so, it's like a, let's get two or three year project to manufacture this shoe because they were solving for like many constituents at once. So customers, of course, solving for the customer, the user. Uh, customers demanded, always demand the swoosh standards, right? The standard of design, the standard of performance, et cetera, et cetera. Suppliers need to manufacture in volume, you know, in, in order to make the shoe affordable. Investors want something kind of similar. They want scale and profitability. Uh, society is moving us towards more sustainability. Uh, at Nike, the design team wants to adopt uh, new low-carbon materials and processes to make the shoes. So you put all of these three things together, all these, I guess, five things together, and what you have is the introduction of, of the Nike Space Hippie. It's a, it's a shoe that completely has reinvented what, what a customer expectation can be, what a, how, how something is supplied and manufactured. And a lot of the innovation that came out of that shoe, it's not just a great looking shoe and it's comfortable and, and fun to wear, but also it like is totally reshaping the manufacturing process and, and how uh, Nike makes shoes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, this... That, I think that's a great example because, um, you know, next thing I wanted to ask you about was just, you know, where, where does the end customer fit in all the, you know, we've talked about a lot of internal stakeholder groups and, uh, and everything like that, including some of the more traditional, you know, it's because we're not going to stop considering shareholders and, and other executive stakeholders and, and things like that. But how does the end customer get balanced in all of this, I guess, you know, cause also rightfully so employees are a bigger and bigger consideration because you know the cost of replacing employees and you know just yeah. all, all of those things so you know i guess the the question remains you know it's how do, how does the end customer get enough balance in, in all of this that uh, because the customer experience is increasingly important as well 
Well, I think there's a few ways to sort of answer this question. I, you know, I mean, I, I was I was trained to put the user at the center, right? So it, it, yeah. it's a very very hard habit to break, <laughs> and I find myself sometimes at odds uh, with this thinking, um, or it, it it challenges me in my even in my own traditional way of thinking. But you know, the customer sometimes is also an investor, right? So. Right. You know, let's just, we can stick with the Nike example. We can stick with any example, right? Let's say I make products at GE. I make uh, dishwashers or something. And uh, I could I could be an, an employee of, G, of GE. I could invest, you know, my pension might be with GE. And and also I'm a customer, a GE customer, because my home is full, to, full of, the, of those appliances. And so there's three stakeholders all in one. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in, in today's world where it's a little more like it's the interconnectedness of everything is so much more visible, you know, your spot with your spouse or your kids or your neighbors, or your coworkers. It's like the social groups online um, and so forth. It's like the interconnectedness and the complexity of all of it is so visible. So I think coming back to that, coming back to that customer one of the ways that we're also thinking about it at VSA is kind of this fundamental shift from, from user at the center to human at the center. And human at the center, I think, is a more kind of provocative and more encompassing way of thinking about engagement. And, you know, when you design for a better human experience, you start to bring value to many, uh, not just a few. Yeah, yeah, I love that. So how does how does this get communicated? And I mean, you know, th- to me, this it makes a lot of sense. And I would imagine in to many it it, it does. Maybe some are skeptical or, or others simply just don't know this way of thinking yet. You know, how do you effectively communicate this so that it, it there is greater adoption and um, and, and things like that? Well, I mean, it's going to require a lot of work. Yeah. Like I said, that, you know, most organizations are set up, are not set up for this, right? So yeah. that organized this way and to, you know, reorganize the way a business works requires, you know, a tremendous transformation. You know, a lot of companies, I, I suspect, I'm not sure if they'll have the appetite to adopt this, you know, or they might just have their own you know, principles of, you know, no, the investor is at the center or right. our, our, our number one audience is our employees, because I know when our employees have a good experience, our customers have a good experience with us. You know, I mean, you know, I think you'll just have those businesses. But I, I think for those businesses that really want to experience growth, way new transformative ways of doing business, I think that I think they'll be compelled to adopt this. Now, you know, it's interesting because Yale did a lot of research. Maybe they interviewed like 150 CEOs and members of the C-suite. And they overwhelmingly, they all understand and see the importance of it. So it's evident to everybody. Uh, But many of them feel underprepared for this type of management. I mean, they weren't weren't trained, you know, to think this way. And... So they're, I think they're, they're hungry for change. And so I think that, I think you'll have some progressive CEOs who are probably, you know, I think more global in nature, 
probably more large-scale organizations who really adopt this way of thinking. And, and as a result from that, they'll, they'll benefit in many ways, either through valuation or through growth or through customer acquisition, because I think it, it is the way that progressive organizations uh, work today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, b- by the way, Yale's a great resource. You know, they're building curriculum and they're building corporate programs that support this new way of thinking and working. So my, my suspicions, there's a, there's a lot of organizations, but, you know, if someone is really interested in learning more and how to transform more uh, in, in, in how to transform in good ways, uh, Yale, is, Yale is a great resource. Wonderful. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Well, um, Kurt, thanks so much for joining the show. I've got one last question before we wrap up here. So, um, you know, looking ahead, since you know you're you've been quite involved here and and in in the trends here with with stakeholder design, you know how how can organizations stay ahead of changes ahead, or you know what what changes yeah. what trends do you see coming down the pike? I guess you can't do a podcast these days without talking about AI, right? <laughs> yeah, I, one of us was going to bring it up, right? <laughs> so. Right, yeah. Yeah, I know. Well, it, we're, we're bound to. It's like all conversations start or end there. But, you know, I do think that, you know, for a, you know, AI in particular, just in terms of, you know, what we do and, uh, you know, design and branding and marketing, you know, our business, we're, we're really exploring all ways to ethically incorporate it into our work and, uh, you know, for ourselves, um, as a business, um, finding ways to incorporate it. And then as part of our solutions that we're providing clients as well. I mean, it's, it's interesting. We, we named IBM Watson in 2010. So we've been working with research and the machine learning teams for like 15 years. Wow. And so, you know, we helped Watson, you know, um, with the branding, et cetera, on the naming, you know, for the, for, yeah. for its appearance on Jeopardy and so forth. And so, you know, we've kind of been tracking AI for a while and, and thinking about it. I think really we're a long ways away from really fully realizing, and, you know, there's a lot of skepticism or maybe even fear about it right now. And I suppose somewhere down the road that that might be sort of a real concern. I don't think of it as a concern now. I mean, the highest level of of AI is like self-awareness. Right. And, you know, we are a long ways from that. As a matter of fact, I sometimes call AI artificial imitation. What it is today, um, it it's only knowledgeable about what it knows, right? And right. only like only like 20% of the world's data is in the public domain. So you've got the majority of data behind firewalls and and in uh, private networks. So, you know, the idea that any of these widely available consumer interfacing AI models, um, software that you can use today, you know, is simply only, you know, imitating or or, or reporting out or, or sharing or building or generating what's available. Right. Anyway, we're, we're a long ways away, but I am actually like, I'm one of these, people who are kind of really fascinated by it. And in many ways, I uh, can't wait to see what happens. I think we've got at least 10 years till the machines take over. So, you know, it's, it'll be a good decade. You know, we'll, 
you know, well, no, uh, I agree. I, I uh, you know, I generally am an optimist about this stuff. I mean, I think certainly we need to be careful about it and how we approach it. But um, as long as we do that, I think there's there's much more potential than it is than there is downside as, as long as we can do that. Well, again, I'd like to thank uh, Kurt Schreiber, Chief Creative Officer at VSA Partners for joining the show. You can learn more about Kurt and VSA Partners by following the links in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to the Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom podcast, brought to you by Tech Systems. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can access more episodes of the show at www.gregkilstrom.com that's G-R-E-G-K-I-H-L-S-T-R-O-M.com. To get a copy of my latest book, House of the Customer, visit my website or you can find it on Amazon or other retailers. The Agile brand is produced by Missing Link, a Latina-owned, strategy-driven, creatively-fueled production co-op. From ideation to creation, they craft human connections through intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Until next time, stay agile.